Um, last week, we, we um, titled the message, uh, Stopping Doubt. And I'd already submitted it, and Pastor Mark had already posted it and all that stuff, and I really, I didn't, I didn't like that title. I wish I'd have titled it something different. Although we did talk about the importance of stopping doubt and beginning to recognize and understand where it comes in and why we need to recognize it and these sort of things, really the, <clears throat> the focus of, of what we talked about last week is that we're believers, Amen. We, we're believers. I am a believer and I do not doubt. And um, I ask you to look yourself in the mirror some this week and, and to say that to yourself and confess that. Um, I've kind of added that to my uh, wake up in the middle of the night, have a hard time going back to sleep, uh, meditations and muttering under my breath. Amen. Um, but I'm a believer and, uh, and I don't doubt and Jesus would not have told me to believe and not doubt if it were impossible. In other words, if it were, if it were humanly impossible to only believe with no doubting, then Jesus would have never told us to do it. He would have said something like, do the best you can and hopefully it will be enough or you know, something like that. You know? Remember, this is the same Jesus who said, in my Father's house there's many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. In other words, he's straight up with us. Um, it, it would be, keep in mind, he has a vested interest in your success. Um, for one of his children uh, to succeed on this earth by faith and being led by the Spirit brings glory and honor uh, to him and to his name. And so if there was some gaping hole in what we needed to know about faith that was left out, he would have told us. He would have explained it to us. And I know that You've probably had to do some thinking about it because I've had to do some thinking about it. But notice how subtle the enemy is in convincing so many people that believing without doubting is impossible. In other words, that alone shows us the power of our belief. In other words, again, it's kind of like, um, you know, taking a picture in a mirror, you know, <laughs> that, all these different dimensions, you know, of it. But... But think about it for a moment. If, if, if we believe in our heart that it's impossible for us to believe without doubting, then that's a problem before we even get out of the gates. That's a problem before we even get started good. And so the, the longer I live and the more I learn about this subject of faith and living by faith and walking by faith, receiving by faith, um, faith receives what grace has already given and all these things that we've been talking about, using our faith as a tool, using our faith to make a difference, using our faith to move mountains, using our faith to uh, change situations, to experience breakthroughs, and, and all these things in, in our lives. The, the more I learn about it and the more I study about it is the believing's not the hard part. It's, it's the not doubting. It's the not doubting. And I think for a lot of folks... We, you know, they, they look at it the opposite of that, that it's so hard to believe. And, and, and again, one of the, the, the just so simple things, but how many times in your life, in my life, when it's come to something good, have we thought or even said, I want to believe? You know, it's like, man, I want to believe that. 
I want that to be true. I want, so, in, in other words, the born-again person is inclined to believe. Um, we've, we've received at the deepest level of our existence the nature of God. My friend, the nature of God is not doubt. God's nature is not doubt and fear and worry and stress and anxiety. That's not who he is. And it's not who you are, again, as a born-again man or a woman. I believe it was Brother Hagen that said, we're faith children of a faith God. Amen. We are faith children of a faith God. And so the enemy is constantly trying to neutralize your faith. He can't stop it. He, he hopes to use strategies against you to limit it or contain it, or here's a big one, contaminate it, right? And we haven't got there yet. I've got uh, some notes on this. We'll get there maybe in the next week or two. But, you know, the Bible talks about the trial of our faith becoming instrumental in the purifying of our faith. So when we believe God for something and our adversary, the devil, prosecutes a faith case against us, if we will resist him, if, if, we, if we will hold fast our confession, if, if we will um, you know, not just roll over, but, but, but hang in there, um, doing all that we know to do to stand, keep standing, what's, what's going to happen to our faith is the, the, the impurities and the things that have contaminated it are going to be revealed. They're, they're, they're going to be brought to the surface. And, and the Bible says that it's, it's when we go through these, um, you know, when the devil defies your faith, or when the devil challenges your faith, or he tries to, um, you know, push back against you. If, if you refuse to be moved, um, it's, it's going to produce in you. That's what James even says. Peter talks about this by the Holy Spirit. James talks about this by the Holy Spirit that it's going to prove your faith, not to God, to you. It's going to prove my faith to me. It's going to prove your faith to you. So I'm going to go back to it. Our, our default position as sons and daughters of God is to believe. We're believers. We're faith children of a faith God. It's our nature to believe God. It's our nature to trust Him. It's, it's our nature to uh, believe every word that he has spoken. And so the enemy is trying to figure out a way to stop your faith. Because remember, your faith is the victory that overcomes this world. There's, <laughs> there is nothing the devil can use to stop a, a child of God who knows how to operate uh, in faith. You know, we talk about this becoming a faithmetician and faithmatics and in, in, in developing um, the skill of, uh, and it is a skill. It has. To, we said it's an art and a skill. I'm not going to go back and repreach those messages. That that we can practice. We can practice, um, you know, disciplining our thoughts. We can practice identifying uh, places where doubt tries to come in and and affect us and enter us. So. Amen. Sounds like the audio is working good back there. So, amen. Thank you, brother. Praise God. All right. So, um, 
And I apologize. I don't know what's going on with our, with our system tonight, Christy. I couldn't, I couldn't pull it up. And if I'm doing this tonight, it's not because I need new glasses. It's because that's the print I'm trying to read So, <laughs> with my notes. But we're good. All right, let me give you um, some verses. Uh, some we looked at last week. Uh, Mark 5 and 36, as soon as, Jesus heard the, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. He would have never told him that if it were impossible to only believe. And this man wasn't, um, you know, facing some little simple situation here. This man was facing the news that his daughter had just passed. I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, this... This is, you know, one of the most painful and, and terrible things that a person could deal with, um, the, the passing of a child. And, and yet Jesus had the audacity to look that man in the face in that moment and say, don't doubt, only believe, only believe. Mark nine twenty three and 24, Jesus said to him, if you can believe all things are possible, to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Acts chapter 10, verse 20. The Holy Spirit speaks to Peter. Arise therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. James 1, 6, 7, and 8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So we said being ready for trial means being ready for the attacks of the enemy. And the attacks that he's going to bring involve efforts to get you to doubt. It's just that simple. Um, Every strategy he has to use against you is to try and stir up uh, doubt in, in, in your heart. And we said, I know this is review, but we've gotten here a few times and then we've been out of time. So let's, let's bear down on it for a minute tonight. We've said that doubting in the heart, doubting in the heart, Jesus said, if you do not doubt in your heart, okay? So I know there's a big debate um, about the difference between your heart and your head, you know. And so the idea is, well, you know, what if you doubt in your head but not your heart, you know, and, and these kinds of things, all right? So let me try to, you know, explain to you, in some cases maybe remind you of, 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 of how God created you. You are a spirit, you possess a soul. Your soul is the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. Your mind, emotions, and your will. And all of that is housed or contained within a physical body. So when we talk about the mind and the brain, they're not the same thing. Okay, The brain is like a glove that the mind, which is a part of the soul, is plugged into. So your physical body was created, fearfully and wonderfully made, the Bible says. It was created in such a way as to give expression to the spirit and soul that's contained within it. Are you following what I'm saying here? All right. So we say, and I'm not trying to to frustrate anybody, and I'm not trying to speak against some of the great faith teachers, 
But when we talk about the difference between the heart and the, and the head, the head is just simply where the mind meets the world. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying here? Um, like, like your ability to see your eyeballs, okay? Well, what's really happening here is your, your eyeballs are taking in light that's refracting, and you've got sensors in your brain that you know, enable you to... Pro- I mean, it's amazing. Don't, don't misunderstand me. It's amazing, all right? Um, but, but we're not just talking about something that's, that's completely physical. In other words, physical eyesight is a completely physical process. When we talk about having a thought, all right, we're not talking about something that's purely cerebral or, or something that's purely brain, okay? Now, when we talk about the brain and the survival brain and it remembering to breathe for you and all these other things, these are pure biological functions. Again, created by God, yes, amazingly so, um, and thankfully so, okay? Um, but, you know, a lot of those types of things are, are you know, electrical impulses within the brain, uh, the brain itself doing the job as far as, you know, maintenance within the physical body, so forth and so on. When, when we go over from there to um, thoughts and thinking, um, we've just combined the brain, or we could say the head, with the soul or the heart, okay? Now, we like to teach on spirit, soul, and body by using the Word of God because Hebrews 4 says that the Bible, the Word of God, is the only scalpel, two-edged sword, sharp enough to separate the part of you that's spirit from the part of you that's soul and the part of you that's soul from the part of you that's physical body. Uh, In reality, what takes place at one level of your existence affects and impacts um, the other two, okay? Um, With obviously life emanating from, from the spirit, you know, coming outward. But when I say affects the other two, obviously there's some holes we could poke in that. I'm not trying to just teach exhaustively on all of this spirit, soul, and body tonight, but we know, for instance, that there is a very powerful connection between the soul and the body in the sense that things within the soul um, affect us physiologically. It's the, it's the psychosomatic, um, which psycho is suche from the Greek meaning soul, soma meaning body, psychosomatic, the mind-body connection. And so, for instance, stress in the mind um, causes physical issues in the body. Bitterness is, is something that's soulish in nature, but the Bible says bitterness will cause arthritis. It'll cause a drying of the bones, okay? On the other side of that coin, we see that a merry heart, again, you can't go to Walmart and buy a pound of merry heart. Are you, are you, you know what I'm saying? This is something that's, that's intangible in, in the sense that it's, it's soulish in nature, but this intangible uh, soulish part of us that is merry, the Bible says, does good like a medicine. It, it, it reacts with and even releases uh, certain neurochemicals and endorphins and things within the physical body that are proven by science to boost the immune system and make a person uh, overall healthier, okay? So I'm trying to give you some baseline explanation on this 
so that you, I'm not trying to give you just some, you know, hard and fast and absolute and, and uh, unbendable line on these things, but I'm trying to, to, you know, help you better understand these things in light of, you know, can we doubt with the head and it, and it not be in the heart, okay? Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? So this then brings us back to what is the heart, okay? And according, not according to what people say, not according to what Valentine's cards say, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that the heart is the combination of the spirit and soul. We could also say the heart is the inward man. We could also say that um, the heart um, is the, um, the pneuma and the suche. Uh, pneuma being spirit in the Greek, suche being soul in the Greek. Um, one very technical definition, it says the heart is the totality of the immaterial man. So if you were a three-dimensional being, spirit, soul, and body, then what we see is that your body is the material part, matter, but the, the two, and by the way, eternal parts, <laughs> uh, uh, of, at least as, as you are right now, um, is your spirit and your soul, but they're immaterial. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? In other words, you can buy soul food and soul music, but you can't buy a soul. You, 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 you can't get a... Um, I'm learning some things about computers right now and websites and these kinds of things. And, um, and you can buy plug-ins, okay? And, and what, what does that mean? Well, uh, I say buy them. A lot of them are free. Um, you get a plug-in and you install it on your website and it'll do the coolest things. I mean, it'll change things. It'll, it'll add functionality. I mean, it'll do all kind of stuff. Well, you know, again, you, you, you can't go down to Home Depot and buy a plug-in for the soul. Amen. It, it, in other words, it, it, it doesn't work that way. It's an immaterial part of you. So when we talk about doubt in the heart... It's not coming from your spirit. If, you're, if your spirit's born again, your spirit believes everything God's ever said. So the, we, we said it this way, that doubt leaks into the heart. And I, I'm using that terminology, number one, because I believe the Holy Spirit gave that to me. But it, it also goes back to the idea, if you've got a leak in your roof, um, it, it's... It's much easier to fix the leak than it is to find it. And, and, and so, again, these are the, just in the Lord teaching me and me studying and Him speaking to me and me taking notes and meditating on these things. This, this is where I believe He's brought us to um, in, in our current study, is that the, the doubt in the heart comes through the gateway or the doorway of the mind. And so this is why the enemy applies pressure. Um, and he does it, listen, sometimes he does it just right in your face. You know what I mean? Just defiant, just bullying you. But more times than not, it's, it's very subtle. It, let's go back to convincing so many people that it's impossible to only believe with no doubting. <laughs> so we believe that, and it's like, well, we, you know, we... We're two steps behind before the this race even starts because we don't even believe we can believe with no doubting. When, again, I'm a believer and I believe not without doubting, doubting nothing. 
I do not doubt anything my Father has said to me. I do not doubt anything He has said about me. I do not doubt a single word in this, in this book, right? I don't doubt it. I refuse to doubt it. I can choose not to doubt it, just like I can choose to not allow my heart to be troubled. So whether we understand this or not, the devil understands this. Remember, and I don't have the verse in front of me or even in my notes, Christy, so please thank you for what you're doing, but there's, you won't find it in there. But, but Jesus talks about that the evil one can't touch you. He's talking about your spirit. He can't touch your born-again spirit. Obviously, because the enemy certainly touches us mentally and tries to manipulate us emotionally. And if we give him place, he'll even uh, you know, try to affect us physically. So we talk about the, the, the level of our existence that the enemy can't touch. It's our spirit. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? It's, it's our spirit. There's, that's why so many people have got off into wrong teaching because they take that verse, the devil can't touch you, so if you're suffering with something, God had to do it to you because it couldn't have come from the devil. Again, such a wrong understanding, such a gross uh, mishandling of the Scriptures. But what he's trying to help us see here is that the real you, the part of you that's born again, the part of you that believes everything God has said, that's impenetrable. The, the devil can't touch that. Uh, as a matter of fact, because... because your behavior had nothing to do with, with creating it. Your behavior can't change it. I mean, even you can't change it. And I know some people don't believe that, but that's okay. Amen. But even you can't change that. It's, it's, it, it, Jesus would have to change for that part of you to, to be changed. So it's, it's the mind. I know I keep saying this over and over again. It's the mind, it's the mind, it's the mind. Now... Doubt in the heart always enters through the mind. I'm fixing to let Matthew come. Let me, let me get this said right here, okay? Doubt in the heart always enters through the mind. If you never learn to manage your thoughts, you will never keep doubt out of your heart. I believe that's a word from the Lord. I'm going to say it again. Doubt in the heart always enters through the mind. If you never learn to manage your thoughts, you will never keep doubt out of your heart. So let's go back to it. Can can you believe in your heart while doubting in your head? Well, your head is just where your soul, again, (laughs) interacts, right? I know that we love to think that you know, I'm not doubting in my heart, but I've got all kinds of doubt in my head. But as long as I keep the doubt in my head and not in my heart, again, the doubt that you're sensing in your brain, amen, is actually a part of your soul. It's your mind. In other words, it's part of your cardia. Are you following what I'm saying here? Am I, am I, I'm trying to make this as simple as plain as I can tonight. But, but this is another subtle... Uh, you know, thing from the enemy to get a lot of people, well, you know, it's impossible to, to, to doubt nothing. It's, it's impossible to only believe doubting nothing. So the only way we can ever accomplish that is if we doubt in our heads but not in our hearts. 
Well, he just hoodwinked you again, right? Because the doubt that you think is in your head is registering there because of your soul's interface with your brain, amen? If it's in your head, it's in your mind. And if it's in your mind, it's in your soul. And if it's in your soul, it's in your heart. It's, maybe I finally got it said right there. Who is the example Jesus points to? I say Jesus, the Word of God. The example the Word of God points to for us to follow in these things, it's Abraham. It's Abraham. What did Abraham learn concerning these things? He learned that if he was going to remain strong in faith, there were certain things that he could not consider with his brain. As long as he considered how old he was, as long as he considered uh, how, you know, the, 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 the condition of Sarah's body and she couldn't conceive when she was in her 20s and now she's pushing 100 and, you know, as long as he considered those things, he, was, he struggled, he was doubting, he was weak in, in, in faith and, and was not receiving the things that Father God promised to him. So what did he learn? He learned that he had to manage his thoughts. He learned that the only way to keep doubt out of his heart was to keep those considerations out of his mind. Amen? All right, let me pray for you, and then Matthew will come. Matter of fact, come on, brother. Father, thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you, Lord, for um, what you're saying to us and what you're about to say to us. And, um, Lord, we just thank you for making us aware of the devil's devices and making us aware of how doubt is leaking into our heart through the gateway of our mind and how to fight and win the good fight of faith by standing against the attacks of the enemy against our thoughts and our thinking. Father, we thank you for good things now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, praise God. Those of you who are watching online, you have a great...